0: 2019 has been the year where developers blog, but why should you blog? How do you get started? What are our workflows? And do you even want to blog? Blogging has been pivotal in a lot of our careers, and we wanted to talk a bit more about our blogging mindset, why we blog, why you want to blog, and more. Let's get started.
1: Welcome to the Ladybug Podcast. I'm Kelly. I'm Allie. I'm Emma.
0: And I'm Lindsay, and we're debugging the tech industry.
1: Let's jump right in and discuss why each of us like to blog. Emma, you go first. So
2: I started blogging as a means to kind of take notes on things that I was learning as I was learning them. And that way I had a reference sheet that I could go back to and refer to things like, for example, a regex cheat sheet. That was one of the things that I made that I could go back and refer to, you know, as time went on. And I also use it kind of as a way to teach myself because I'm a huge proponent of the fact that if you can relay your thoughts about a topic uh, well enough to create a blog post or create an online video or whatnot, then you've sufficiently learned you know, the base level um, knowledge for that skill. Um, it's a great way to reinforce what you've learned. So I started blogging as a resource for myself, but there are many reasons why you should blog. You can also start to blog in order to build yourself a portfolio. This is a great resource for employers to look through if you're applying for jobs and whatnot. So those are three big reasons why I started. But Lindsay, can you tell us a little more about maybe like why you got invested in blogging? Yeah, sure. So my blog is very focused on accessibility. So the main two
0: reasons why I decided to start blogging was first to establish myself as a subject matter expert in accessibility. I was already kind of known as that in my local community, but I wanted to expand that to the more global community. And I think it's actually done a pretty good job doing that. The other part was to empower developers. Something I've learned a lot from working with developers about accessibility is a lot of them think of it more as a checklist and less about solutions and implementing solutions and just being inclusive. And I wanted to put that mindset more into developers' heads and I wanted them to just feel empowered and to teach. So those are my main two reasons. Ali, what about you?
3: Yeah. So for me, my biggest reason is for my past self. When I was starting to code, as we talked about a little bit on episode one, I didn't feel confident and I didn't feel like I belonged and I didn't feel like I understood the material. So I started writing resources that my past self would have found really helpful. It kind of like a form of rehashing that i guess then other people started finding them helpful as well and for me teaching is a really big part of what i love doing and so blogging is another form of that so i blog for myself first and to write stuff that i would have benefited from in the past but secondary and a really great part of it now is that it's helping other people learn how to code and making it easier for the people coming after me. So
2: I think we kind of forget that blogging is a form of asynchronous mentorship in a sense. It's kind of like mass mentorship. It's not something I ever considered until, you know, I went on a podcast as someone's guest and they were like, so you're kind of a mentor through your blogging. And I'm like, I guess it kind of is. Uh, We don't really think about how many people it can reach.
3: Yeah, in person you can only teach a certain number of people at a time. Even a big talk is a couple thousand people, maybe. Whereas I have blog posts that one blog post in itself has a hundred thousand reads, and so that's a huge amount of people compared to the people that you can teach in person. So that's a really great part of it. I think that teaching in person has like a bigger impact on those people that are there, but this has a smaller impact on a huge amount of people, which is awesome too.
0: Definitely to piggyback off that, I. Notice that my impact has been so much more with blogging. I spoke so much in 2017, and I still don't feel like I was able to teach nearly as many people, or I wasn't as known to teach about accessibility as other people. So blogging. on the
1: opposite side of where Allie uh, says that she blogs for her past self, I blog for my future self um, for two reasons. Uh, first, it's because I forget everything that I did yesterday, so I find my own resources to be a resource for myself when I eventually will forget. And two, in you know, in my career, I need to be a subject matter expert, and I can use my own blog posts as uh, resources to send to potential clients and to talk about in our newsletter that we send out for our uh, for my agency. So my blog post can serve not only a purpose for potential clients and in the newsletter, but also by by showing this, we've actually signed on new clients because they read something in our blog that, that shows that we know what we're talking about.
2: So really quickly, and this is a slight tangent, but I think it's an important one. When I was starting out, I couldn't find blogs that were useful for me as a beginner because they were maybe missing things. Like they maybe skipped over topics that were relevant to the post, but they didn't maybe define a term. So maybe like, for example, if I was reading a blog about like React for beginners and they mentioned Redux, like if they don't link to Redux docs or they don't like define what it is, um, I'm kind of lost, right? So what makes a blog a good blog? And I'll kick this off really quickly. I find that if you're going to mention like tangential, tangential topics, I can't even say that word. Um to link to the documentation and maybe give like a high level like definition of what something is. I think that makes it a good blog, having a good flow and hierarchy, and maybe having some good graphics. But what are some things that you deem as you know good um, when you're talking about what makes a good blog post?
1: So I have a bit of a background in scientific writing uh, from my my time in grad school. And a really important component to whatever you're writing is having a section for operational definitions. And that's exactly what you're talking about. If you're going to be discussing certain topics, have a section that defines, literally defines what it is you will be talking about. So people can refer back to that one section if they're, if they're confused on a certain term that you're using.
0: I think I may start
2: doing that. I, do, I don't do that. but <laughs> I don't either, but I
1: think I will. <laughs> you know, I never, I don't really see it much in blogs. And I think it'd be actually a, a really great thing to start doing.
3: Yeah, I think it's similar to when you're teaching. So the first thing that you always want to do is tell people what they're going to learn in your posts. A, so that they know that they're reading a blog post that's gonna help them. B, so that they already are paying attention and that they know what they're gonna get from it. So they're prepped to learn that material. Then in the middle, I try to make it so that the content's multimedia. So it appeals to all different types of learning styles. What that means is that I'll integrate video content. If I have it, I'll integrate code pens, uh, infographics, all the types of media that I can, not just words. In addition, try to make it as skimmable as possible so that people just looking at the post can get, gather something from it and know that it's interesting. If it's just a wall of text, like an essay, it's probably not going to hook somebody's attention at first glance. And at the end, I try to make it so that it sums up what they learned. And then it's also a call to action so that they keep following my writing or keep following me online so that they know the next time that I post. So that's kind of my formula for a blog post.
2: That's really cool because we forget that people learn differently. Like I like to read through. I like to read through learning. I like to learn through reading, um, but that's maybe not everyone's medium. I think we've covered this in, you know, maybe the last two podcasts. If you want to maybe hear more about how we learn and whatnot, go go listen to our first two. But yeah, that's great. I take that for granted within my posts. I kind of just do like graphics and words and leave it at that, but incorporating videos and, and maybe even audio, right? That might be very useful.
3: Totally. Okay. So back to the motivators topic, we talked a lot about writing for our former selves and our future selves and to establish ourselves as experts. But there are some motivators that we didn't talk about. And two that stand out for me are money and gaining an audience. Do we want to talk a little bit more about those things and why maybe we didn't mention those?
2: Absolutely. I think a lot of people probably have questions about how much money can you make off of blogging. So When I started, I was on Medium primarily, and I was kind of trying to figure out their paywall system before they changed it all. At that time, you could really make certain posts for members only. Any claps that you got from paying members were divvied up, it depended on a ratio. So I think my first check for Medium was maybe like $30 or $40, which, you know, that's kind of a lot for for your first paycheck, right? I would say that now on passive blog posts, because I don't post much on Medium anymore, I can maybe make like $50 a month just on posts that are just living there, not doing much. But that being said, it does take time to make money. And as you snowball your content, as you post more often, you'll, you might have more opportunities to work with other blogging sites or companies or whatnot. So like I was contacted by Todd Motto from Ultimate Blogs and he wanted to sign me on as someone to write for them. So posting your own content can definitely lead you to make money. It will take time and there are many ways that you can do it, whether that's through partnerships or, you know, monetizing your posts on a site, but you can't. Right away, expect to be making hundreds and hundreds of or thousands of dollars. You'll probably make, you know, 30 at most.
3: Yeah, it's definitely hard to make a lot of money off of blogging in itself. It's a lot easier to make money off of doing partner posts or something along those lines. But I think especially ad money, it's really, really hard to make a lot of money off of that. You can definitely make a couple dollars, but you have to get millions of views to make decent money off of that. But then again, you can use that blog to market other things. And that's, I think, where blogging becomes a lot more lucrative.
0: Now, I, with that being said, it's almost uh, the way I think of blogging isn't so much as I directly monetize, but almost like a funnel. Like if you really like my content, you might eventually want to work with me or you might eventually want me to teach Um, I personally haven't monetized any of my content yet. Um, Everything that I've monetized has been like through Egghead and then, you know, other parts that came from people reading my stuff. So for me, it's actually more of a marketing thing. Like, you know, I'm a subject matter expert and you read my stuff and you're like, I like the way she does things. So I'm going to talk to her about maybe potential opportunities. And I've had opportunities that I've actually had to turn down like teaching opportunities, just because I did not have the bandwidth. But as a long term strategy, I think it's really cool that that
2: could be an option for me. I want to also make a note here that you don't need to monetize your posts, just like you said, Lindsay. So what I do is I offer my posts generally behind a paywall, but I also offer it for free. There's no barring entry for people to pay for a subscription to to read my stuff. But if they want to go and, you know, give me claps on medium or whatnot to additionally help me out, um, that's super nice, but you know, maybe we can even do a whole episode on, you know, monetizing your work as a content creator. I think it's a hot topic, but, um, there's no shame. If you are putting your time and effort into something, my opinion is like, you should be able to monetize it. Right. I personally just like to offer those things for free as well. So.
1: And it also goes back to our, our side projects episode where you know, one of us mentioned, maybe it was me. I don't remember. I think it was you. <laughs> okay. It was me. That as soon as you start attempting to turn a side project into a side job, it becomes much more stressful. Mm -hmm. And, you know, monetizing a blog is not necessarily like on the jumping into the deep end of monetizing something. But, you know, once you start making money from something, you want to keep making money from it. And then it can become like overwhelming to try to keep that up when, you know, you have other responsibilities you need to be focusing on.
2: Um, One other motivator I would like to just bring up is that you can gain an audience, which is really neat. It's really cool. Um, when I started blogging, I didn't have an audience at all. Uh, and one of the pieces of advice that I got from my friend Khalil, he said, If you consistently post, like you'll eventually gain readership and it will take a while, but at some point, you know, it'll happen. And it's true, like over time you do gain an audience um, and many things can come your way as a result of that. It's also a negative that we'll talk about a little bit later, but um, that's one of the the motivators behind it is seeing the impact of your words and how they can help people learn. I think it's a great motivator.
1: And it's very much a slow and steady thing. Like you you really can't rush building an audience because and you need to build that organic audience that sees the value in, in, in what you're creating.
0: The cool thing about it being slower to start is the people, once you do get an audience, they are your ride or dies. Yeah. Like I cannot, like anytime I have to take a break from social media for stress reasons or whatever, I have so many people DMing me being like, we're here for you. Don't worry. Take care of yourself. You know, it's actually really heartwarming in a way. There are gonna be um, jerks, but the people who do truly follow you and like your content are your ride or die. So um, I think this is actually a good segue to talk about how to get started.
2: Sure. So. I actually started blogging a long time ago when I worked at IBM, but I did it like haphazardly. um. So I was never consistent with it. Right. And they were mostly career oriented. So I think I wrote one internally about how, top 10 tips for being a standout new hire, um, how you can differentiate yourself. But I posted that on the internal blogging site and whatnot. I honestly didn't even really know much about the, the community at large. I didn't know there were blogging platforms. I didn't know there was Twitter. Like I, I was totally disconnected. Um. So it was really only recently once I joined LogMeIn, uh, like at the end of last year, it was last September, my coworker I mentioned earlier, Khalil, he's like, hey, people are starting to share your, your blog posts on Twitter. And then, you know, then I got on Twitter and that kind of like spiraled into it. But at that point, I was kind of just like haphazardly posting whenever I felt like it, it was more just career based. And once I once I saw people were sharing it, I was like, all right, maybe I need to be a little bit more consistent. So that's when I I started adding really cool graphics that I create in Sketch. I started adding those, um, and I think that having those kind of graphics and explaining things quite in depth and linking to these external resources, like we discussed earlier, I think that's when I started gaining interest from the community. But Ali, so you're you're obviously a big vlogger. So how did you get started?
3: So I initially started almost two years ago. Now, year and a half, two years. And I had absolutely no online following at that point and didn't really until last year. So I wanted to challenge myself. I wanted to learn new things. I saw Vaidehi Joshi's base CS series, or which was incredible. And I learned so much from it and I wanted to do something similar. So I started a challenge for myself, similar to that series called On learning new things where I would teach myself a new thing every week. I would build an app with it and then write a blog post completely unsustainable. That's a huge amount of work and completely unrealistic to do. It would take me forever to write these blog posts, but. It was pretty fun. I started getting like 30 views per post or something along those lines. So it started really, really small. And then occasionally one would take off a little bit. And at that point taking off was getting maybe a thousand reads and seeing that build was really incredible, but it got to be way overwhelming because I had taken on way too much and also Because people were reading my blog posts, I was getting invited to speak about my blog posts. So that started a whole nother side situation where that was taking more time than the blogging itself. So that blog kind of died because it was too much work. And then I started a hybrid lifestyle programming blog because I moved to Connecticut and didn't know anybody and had a lot of extra time on my hands. And so... I was writing these posts that were targeted at the former version of myself, and it was very tailored to my interests. The whole blog was pink and very my style, and so nobody really read the lifestyle posts. Some of the programming posts, though, just really took off. Like, they were getting to the front of Hacker News, they were getting on the front page of Reddit, and taking off on Twitter and stuff like that. And so since those posts were doing so well, I doubled down on those. And that's kind of my blogging story, I guess. How about you, Lindsay? I think I know this story.
0: Yeah. So my original idea for starting even some sort of side project in accessibility came when I was a panelist last April, so April 2018. um, And I was a panelist for an accessibility front-end event and I kind of side joked about people hiring me to do things for accessibility and then I had three or four people come up to me and be like no you should actually write about this I would totally share it I'm like okay cool let's do this so I actually ended up hanging out with a fellow designer and having her create designs festival designs and my logo and my color scheme uh, her name's Raquel I'll actually put her Information in the show notes because you should totally work with her. She's awesome, but I when I joked about it, I had all these people coming around, and uh, I was like, okay, you know what? I'm gonna do this, and so I started creating my blog in Drupal because at the time that's what I knew, and I ended up having it completely designed by like July, and then I paused because I was thinking about costs and Drupal hosting is. Pretty expensive. Like it's at the minimum $50 a month. And I was just basically procrastinating because I didn't want to spend that money yet. So I paused. And then uh, the month later, like Allie and I started talking. And um, she was like, Have you ever thought about, you know, building your blog in Gatsby? Because um, you can host it for free on Netlify. And I was like, Oh my gosh, that's so! That is the only reason why I have not published this. So I quickly rebuilt it, and it was actually pretty fun because I was still playing around with React, so I had some uh, chances to play around with that instead of Drupal, learning something new, which made it way more fun. And when I started playing around with that, and then I published it, I ended up launching it on my birthday last year. So that way, I'll always remember my blog's birthday. And yeah, that was pretty much my story. So. Let's talk about a little bit about Kelly's story, which is a little more unconventional, unless anybody has questions for me.
1: No, I'll just jump right in. So my blogging story started when I was about 10 years old on a website called LiveJournal. <laughs> I don't know if any of you use LiveJournal. Obviously, this is not at all career related. I was just like, I just, you know, I've been blogging for a very long time about my life. You know, my my middle school life was a very emotional <laughs> traumatizing. No, it wasn't. It was totally fine. Um, but Live Journal was kind of like my first foray into just kind of like getting my thoughts out there. But I tried to run multiple blogs over the course of my life, both professionally and for fun. I had a food blog for a little while. I had a travel blog for a little while. I just had like a life in grad school blog for a while, and I always gave up on them after like two posts. Could never keep up with it. So I just didn't blog for a while and. Now, I kind of have to blog because, you know, running this agency, I have to put myself out there as a subject matter expert at this point. So I don't blog regularly in the sense that everybody else does, um, which I will get a little bit more into later. Um, I just find the entire process a little overwhelming. But because we need to blog, I found that writing a newsletter instead is actually the easiest way for me to go about it. So I can write content and then hand it over to our digital marketing strategist she reformats it into a blog. And it's literally the same exact content as what's in the newsletter, maybe like an extra paragraph or something added. But for whatever reason, by calling it a newsletter, it makes it much easier for me to write. And we're able to put out content every other week that way. So that's kind of how I got started back into blogging, I could say. That's awesome. Yeah, I kind of love that too, because it's like
0: a newsletter is super helpful for your business. So it's, you could probably see the value of doing that a lot easier, which probably helps a lot with motivation.
1: It really does.
2: What I find really interesting is that um, we all wanted to have blogs for different topics like lifestyle, food, whatnot. Um, But it's really hard to run multiple blogs with multiple, um, you know, subject matters because the people who are there for your tech blogs, for example, they don't care about, you know, food necessarily or, um, you know, what outfit you're wearing today. And I struggle with this because i love to blog about career things. Uh, but I do notice that they don't get as much traction. So I've kind of been struggling myself with, okay, I want to post these career blogs, but where do I post them? Because I, I post primarily on, you know, the dev community now, but those things aren't necessarily dev focused. And so I kind of have a little bit of an identity crisis. Uh, so I'm not sure how to handle these kind of things. Do do y'all have any tips for that? I would pitch them
3: to stuff like the women in career sites, something like refinery 29 or something like that. I would pitch them there.
1: That'd be fun. Yeah, I mean, there are there are other other sources online that let you you know contribute to their blog instead of trying to maintain your own. When you can just you know write one article or two of of a a subject of interest.
3: I was laughing when you said that you had other blogs before, Kelly. I started with a fashion
1: blog in high school and Mm -hmm. definitely fizzled after a little bit. You would not have wanted me to run a fashion blog in high school. (laughs) Probably me neither.
3: Actually, I kind of I mean,
1: wish I had just so I can look back on it and be like, wow, Kelly, this is really good. I
3: had one. <laughs> the only one that yeah. I can find is one about fake fur and how you should wear that instead of real fur and then what fake fur
2: you should wear so if you do find
1: it please post it
2: because I want to read
1: oh that. I have it I'll, I'll definitely post it again I had a, yeah. a live journal account <laughs> dedicated to how much I love the Jonas Brothers
3: <laughs> amazing, <That laughs> amazing. amazing. I, <laughs> I
0: don't even I don't remember my live journal name so I I don't even remember how, I think I just posted my feelings so you'll probably just if you find it, you'll just see super emotional high school Wednesday.
2: I don't even know what Live Journal is, to be honest, but I was that weird kid that like took notes on it. Like I found this, what I would call a blog post, but really it's just me writing on a piece of paper. Uh, it was like a hundred things I think are hot. And it was basically just like Aaron Carter, the Jonas Brothers. Like, it was literally <laughs> just like a list of celebrities at the time. But anyway, t- tangent. So we all write blogs for the most part. And what's our general workflow look like? I'm going to let Lindsay kick this one off. Sure. So, I talked about this pretty openly. I have ADHD, so refining my blog post
0: workflow was a bit of a work in progress. I really finally got this, and I actually wrote about it, and I'll link the blog post, in, the blog post about blogging, in the show notes. But I basically start out by writing in a markdown file. I create headers of what my general sections will be, and then I just start typing. It's a little bit chaotic. Uh, it'll go, I'll, I'll generally write my intro first, but after like all the middle is kind of all over the place. Then once I'm finished with writing that and writing the conclusion as well, I will run it through the Hemingway app. The Hemingway app makes your writing a lot more concise. Uh, it tells you how many words you have, what your what the reading level is. It's really helpful for me because um, a lot of times I just, to avoid writer's block, I just literally brain vomit onto my Markdown file. It's all over the place. So this will help me get my ideas to be a lot more concise. And then once I'm done with that and putting everything into my Markdown file, then I will copy and paste it into Grammarly. As a disclaimer, I actually use the premium version of Grammarly. I love it because it has more granularity. It'll learn a little bit more about what your tone is. Um, I learned about this. Uh, through Ali actually. So they have um, both an extension on Chrome, which I don't like as much, and they also have a, um, an app that you can use. So I paste it into this, uh, basically just this blank text editor, and then it'll assess your content. So it'll catch things just like small grammar issues, like spelling, uh, missing commas and stuff like that. That's more of the free version. Um, but then they'll also go and they'll assess is your content technical? What's the tone of your content? Do-? And it'll like find things like passive voice. So that's always like a really good second step for me. I kind of like it doesn't do what Hemingway does and like assess, you know, what your like what the reading level is. Like, is it a fourth grade reading level? Like, which, you know, is another another different reason why I use Hemingway. Grammarly is a lot more about checking like the style of your writing is it consistent making sure that you know you have commas in the right places and I actually like love Grammarly for that reason so and yeah do you have any follow-up questions about that
2: I just want to say this is really cool especially for those who want to get into blogging but English is not their first language and potentially they're nervous about that so uh, I think that's great I've used it in the past but I'm gonna definitely yes. look into another premium account because this sounds really cool
1: Also, just a side note, when we talk about like these paid accounts and paid services, these are not sponsors. We just, we all personally use these services and we love them.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. And the other, the last thing I do, which I actually got as a suggestion from somebody on Twitter, I think I was complaining about how it takes me so long to edit blog posts, like way longer to edit them than to write them. And they're like, why don't you run it through a screen reader? And my mind was blown because first of all, that's very on brand for me, <laughs> but also it's super, like when I have ADHD, so something that happens to me very frequently is I'll start reading something and then I'll lose my place because I get distracted by something and then I have to start over and it just like continues happening. So with a screen reader, what I'll do is I'll put on my headphones to not, to not have external noise to my, my partner um, so I'll put on my headphones and I'll turn on my screen reader on my Mac, which use command F5, and then just start reading my content. It's really helpful because it you will be like, oh, that did not sound right when it says something wrong, because it will read everything with the grammar that you're supposed to have. So sometimes it's a little uh, irritating to read code. So something sometimes that I'll do is I'll comment out the code part if I have code samples in the blog post and then have it read after that. But that's pretty much my strategy now. And it's made my editing process so much quicker. Um, cannot recommend trying a screen reader enough. That's like my favorite addition to my workflow. So I, I love it. It's also just very on brand for me because I'm an accessibility blogger. So, but my... You know, my blogging process is super specific, and I'm definitely, uh, if anybody has follow-up questions, feel free to tweet me from the, uh, like, when I'm saying you, I don't mean you three. I mean the people who are listening. <laughs>
2: sure. I have, I actually have a quick question. How long would you say it takes you from the idea to publishing it? How long would you say? Strongly depends.
0: It so, the things that, that don't have code samples take me a lot less time. So, I could have a blog written to completely edited and ready to publish within five hours. But the one of my favorite posts that I've written was my D3 bar charts and accessibility blog posts. And that post probably took me 20 hours from start to end. And the reasons for that was one, it was very code heavy. Two, it wasn't, like I was still relatively new to D3. Like I've only been doing D3 for six months. So that was also... <laughs> like very tricky for me. So, cause I had to double check things. It wasn't like things that I knew in the back of my head, it was still stuff that I was relatively new to. So I was second checking all of my code samples. So that that one took me probably about 20 hours from start to finish. And, uh, but yeah, if it's something also like my most recent of uh, about uh, labeling, that one actually didn't take me that long. I wrote that post when I was on a plane. <laughs> And then edit it and refine it later because but that's all because I know that stuff. So second nature. So it really depends on the content. If you're challenging yourself to learn something new, it's going to take a lot longer. If you are doing something without code samples, it's going to take a lot less or if it's code samples, but it's stuff that you know so well, like it's you could, like you don't even need to research for a code interview type things. Like those things are, are a lot shorter
2: wonderful kelly yeah. What does your workflow look like since you don't post regularly and you're focused more on kind of blogging for for your job to be a subject matter expert what is your workflow look like
1: yeah so when it's something that's not related to my business if i have an idea i write it down and then i post it like i don't i don't do any editing i i'm kind of really lazy when it comes to like all my posts on dev, I've never actually proofread. <laughs> um, so just a little side note there. But for the business, uh, most of my content and topic ideas come from questions I'll receive from clients or issues that me we may encounter in a project. Spend maybe 20 to 30 minutes uh, writing an email for our weekly newsletter. And once that's been sent out, uh, I pass that over to our digital marketing strategist, uh, who shall henceforth be named Shannon because that's her name. And Shannon turns it into a, a blog post and I'll proofread that. Um, it's usually Shannon sending me a message being like, Kelly, you need to write a blog post. Here's an idea, fill in the outline and I'll write it. And that's my other favorite workflow. <laughs> it doesn't require much work on my end. <laughs> All right, Emma, what do you do? Uh,
2: it's one of two situations. So the the most frequent situation is that I get an idea and I sit down and I kind of just like word vomit and do a document and I hit publish uh and I don't think too much about it and this gets me in a lot of trouble sometimes and sometimes it turns out really well sometimes I'll post things without really like I should really let it seep in a little bit more and digest it uh and reread and whatnot um but I'm the kind of person that like I have very low attention span for things. And once I like get all my thoughts on a page, it's very rare for me to, to really go back and, and rework things. So some of my biggest ones have just kind of been word vomit. The other way that I work sometimes is I'll come up with a topic idea. I'll outline like the section headers and I'll fill in the content. And this is probably how I should be doing them. But, um, realistically, that's kind of not how it goes. So it's it's hit or miss. I feel like the career or the uh, topic-based posts are a lot easier for me to come up with. I really enjoy coming up with the graphics for those in Sketch. I really, those just jive with me really well. The technical ones where I have to actually go create gists for everything. Um, I do use Gist. I was previously using Carbon, the Carbon screenshots. Sometimes I still use those, but they're not accessible. So I've been switching over to gist and managing those can take a lot longer and be very frustrating. Those technical posts take me a lot longer to write. And that's why generally you'll see more like theoretical posts from me. They're just a little easier. So Allie, what about you?
3: So I also start with a really, really messy outline. And I actually will normally batch my writing. So before even the the process, I'll have similar types of activities all together. So I'll, for example, have a bunch of topics that I wanna write about in a list and I'll keep track of that so that if I have an idea, I have it written down so that what I actually have time to write, it's it's there. I don't have to come up with something on the spot. So I'll come up with topics at one point. I'll do a bunch of outlines for multiple posts at once, all at once. So I'll have a bunch of outlines written. And then when I wanna publish something, I just have to fill in that outline. So, similar to you all, those outlines will be super messy at first, not complete thoughts in any way, shape, or form. Then I'll go back and fill in those thoughts, make sure that it flows properly, that headers are in correct order, so that it makes the most sense and is most engaging. And then it's the cleanup process of making sure that the text is broken up, that I have lists in there, if that's appropriate. Just ways really to break up the content so that it's not just an essay or something along those lines. Then I edit again with Grammarly, similar to Lindsay. Our processes look really similar. So Lindsay did my blogging workshop way back in the day <laughs> before she launched. So a lot yeah. of our stuff will look really, really similar, I think. Yeah, At least hearing it back, it definitely sounds familiar. It's,
0: it's very, it's very inspired by Allie. <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. <laughs> Super funny. And then I am huge on making content with images, especially for social media sharing, but then also just for the posts themselves. So I'll add those in. I also usually, if I'm doing something front end related, I'll have a bunch of code pens for every step of the process. And so I'll make sure that those all work and have the code that I want in them. If it's in a different language, then it's usually just copied and pasted code. And I'll make sure that each step works there as well. I totally agree with you all that usually non-technical writing that doesn't have a ton of code in it is quicker to write. Though I do have some really skyscraper long posts in that fashion. And those definitely take a lot more time as well. My favorite thing to write is like complete beginner's guides to stuff that are really comprehensive and have a ton of different topics in one.
2: I think I read somewhere that the most active blog posts, the ones that get the most traction are between like three to five minute read times. So if you're interested in, you know, data and statistics and things like that, I do find that my posts that are are shorter and that use graphics uh, specifically to explain these convoluted topics, they definitely get the most traction.
1: People have a very short attention span, so.
3: Yeah, I think that it really depends. So I think that if you're making it multimedia, it'll feel like it's quicker anyways, but for search engines, technically longer content is usually better in that case. But yeah, in order to get traction that way, but.
2: More keywords. Ooh, interesting so once you actually post these things and you're kind of waiting around uh, how do you actually get people to read it how do you gain an audience and and why is consistency really important when you're trying to build up your readership let's just jump right back to you Allie. Uh, how do you how did you gain your audience
3: so i think that it's important to before we talk about anything else to say that you want to diversify your audience so if all of your traffic is coming from twitter or all of your traffic is coming from Instagram or SEO. That's really hard to rely on. All these algorithms are constantly changing. Like recently, Google just had a really big update to their algorithm and a lot of sites dropped 50% in traffic overnight, which is awful. If that is your primary income and you're relying on that, then that's really scary. So make sure that you're getting your traffic from different sources so that if that algorithm changes, you're not super dependent on it. So I think the first thing that we've all thought about is consistency. When I was writing really seriously, it was every single Monday morning, you knew to look for a new blog post from me first thing in the morning. Uh, And usually the beginnings of the week have higher traffic. So that's why Monday, Tuesday posting is usually the way to go. Unless you're brand new and then weekends are a great time to post because there's lower competition. And then making sure that you're writing content that people want to read. Good content's important. The search engines really value if people are spending a lot of time reading your article. That means that they're going to make it so that your post is featured. So having longer content is important for that. And also just making it good content that people actually enjoy reading. That's important. And so then on top of that, The search engine optimization, making sure that you're adding in keywords, all that, that's really important so that you have that audience that you're building. Most really big bloggers rely mostly on SEO. So definitely important to focus on that to some extent. And then social media. I think that all of us definitely rely a lot on social media, whether it be over for all of us, it's Twitter mostly, but I try to try different stuff as well. And Reddit and Hacker News are big too. One
1: thing to note on the SEO side of things, uh, when it comes to keywords, uh, when you're writing blog posts, or really writing any content for a website, it's not about just plugging in keywords in random spots. It has to be more organic the way that you would read it on, you know, like a long form sentence or something like that, or a phrase. Google is very aware if you're just trying to plug in keywords and you can be penalized for that. 100%. Yeah.
2: I also think it's important to discuss the fact that you want engaged readers and engaged audience members, right? So this goes for anything that you're trying to build up audience-wise, social media, blogging, etc. You can hack the system if that's something that you're interested in doing, if you care mostly about numbers. But I often see people who grow their audiences to to a large scale and there's no engagement. They don't get likes on their tweets. They don't get comments on their blogs or likes on their blogs. So be clear about whether you care more about numbers or you care more about the quality of the interactions and I think when you start to care more about what you're writing the quality of readership and interaction on there by default is much higher than if you're just pushing out content that you think is hot right
3: I think going on top of that is if you have storytelling and tell your authentic story that's unique to you and you're somewhat vulnerable in that i think that people are going to relate to that and relate to you and want to keep reading your content so i think that that's something that's really helped me as well both on social media but also in blog posts is telling my story and being really honest so definitely even if it's like a technical post you can interweave stories in there too cool
0: uh something i think is super super interesting about storytelling and even just authenticity I found that now my traffic is super high when it comes to referrals. And I think when you're when you're just relying on SEO and keywords, it's a lot harder to get like referrals. My last month, uh June was unreal with the amount of referral traffic I got. Um I think a lot of times people really just jump into SEO strategy. And SEO strategy is quite important, but something that has worked super well for me is just really developing my, I don't like to say my online persona because my online persona is very much who I am in real life, just a little bit more technical side of me. Um, But I find that building up that persona and Like people will eventually learn about you. And when people learn about you, then they'll they'll refer to your content. And when you refer to your content, then SEO starts building up because when people refer to your content in their content, that's called backlinking, which I'm not super advanced in, but I know it's good. (laughs) I know it's good for SEO. So once you have backlinks, that also improves SEO. So it's a little bit more, uh, that's more of my strategy because quite frankly, my space, I'm competing with huge organizations. And that's just not going to like keyword research. Like while I can start looking into keyword research and all that stuff, I think it's just going to be very difficult for me to compete with those keywords right now until I get my referral traffic up. So, um, and it, it, it ties back in too. It's like my strategy is just being exactly who I am and storytelling and adding code along with that And I think my SEO has improved a lot last month because of referral traffic. So it can be a little bit more of a um, human uh, touchy-feely, like I'm being myself strategy to build up something that's kind of technical like
2: SEO. One point I want to make to to the storytelling thing is that everyone has a unique story. And I'll often get the question of, like, well, it's already been done before, right? Like, should I still do it? And, yeah, absolutely, because your story is different than everyone else's. And I'll always post these, uh, like, Twitter polls of, like, do you guys want a blog post about X topic? And And I always giggle when I get like no responses because it's like, okay, A, it's free content. Like if you don't like it, then just don't read it. Like it's fine. Um, And then the people in the comments like, oh, it's been done a thousand times before. And it's like, yeah, maybe, but maybe the content that's currently out there today has not resonated with someone and potentially mine will. So if it's been done before, nothing's unique these days, right? Almost nothing is unique. Go for it. You've got a unique story segwaying into, you know, we've talked a lot about the positives of blogging and, and the benefits that can come out of it, but there are also negatives that I think we should discuss because it's not all rainbows and butterflies. So, um, Kelly, why don't you kick off this section? Are there any negatives
1: in your opinion of blogging? For me, as I've, you know, talked about previously... Uh, the idea of blogging regularly can be very, very daunting. So it becomes almost a source of anxiety for myself, and it can definitely be that case if you're not naturally a writer. I can I can write tweets all day because they're short and sweet, but you know, forming forming the full the the full idea around a blog post, especially when it gets technical, imposter syndrome kicks in, and you know, you start questioning your own abilities. Like, am I? Do I have enough experience to be talking about this? Uh so on on that side of things like it it becomes more like a like a a personal battle as to whether or not blogging is actually going to be right for me.
2: Yeah. I'm I'm
1: almost I'm almost overly concerned about what others are going to be thinking about what about the content I put out.
2: Well, yeah, that makes a lot of sense and I personally I think we all struggle with imposter syndrome. I think this is something that we will cover very soon. Um but one of the byproducts of feeling imposter syndrome is that inevitably at some point you will receive negative hate comments, harassment, etc. At, at some point you will receive some. And and how do we deal with that, right? So Allie, how do you deal with these negative comments on your blogs or, or just rude comments? Yeah, so I will say before starting off that
3: I didn't deal with a lot of it until I was getting a lot of views. I think that at least when I was getting you know a couple thousand reads a month or whatever I would get one-off stuff but the one-off stuff is in my opinion somewhat not the worst to deal with it's when it's like an onslaught of stuff at once it's like one paper cut is a paper cut but if it's a lot then it's a lot worse but I think last summer when I started getting my post features on reddit and hacker news that's when the The rough side of it started building as well so i think my favorite strategy that i have come up with is to write out my responses to things but then screenshot them and delete them so that i don't have to deal with the fallout from calling somebody out or responding or any of that because that can be a lot of work both because the person probably won't respond super well and then the audience is always telling you that you know ignore the trolls and stuff like that but Sometimes I do respond and when that happens, I try to educate, not for the person who's trolling because they're probably going to get defensive and shut down, but for the audience. So if they are reading it and know now that that's not an appropriate way to act or that if they try to do something similar in the future, then they're probably not going to get a great response from it, then that does help in some ways. Like I had one person who was following me from website to website kind of harassing me. And I eventually write, wrote him an email because he kept emailing me and took a screenshot of it. And a couple hundred thousand people read that response. And maybe those couple hundred thousand people got something from that. And he probably didn't, but all those people probably did. So it does happen less than i Thought it would as an onlooker before starting out, but it is pretty common. Another thing is, and we do this within the four of us, is we all have this common experience of dealing with it a lot. And so we'll take screenshots of stuff and just laugh at it internally and vent about it within us four instead of doing it publicly. So that's been really helpful as well.
0: Yeah. Having a support system, I think, is probably the best thing because while, yeah, it kind of sucks. It, it's kind of, it's one of those things too, when you can like, just like laugh with each other, how ridiculous it is, because then you don't feel so attacked. You're like, well, yeah, it sucks. That person's a jerk, but, uh, look how ridiculous this comment is. I can't believe somebody would even bother saying this, but yeah,
2: I think it's important to know we don't make fun of the people, right? We're not sitting here like making fun of people. But we're we're trying to shrug off the fact that, like, we all go through these things. And as opposed to just berating these people online um, as a, a snap judgment or a snap reaction to something, just kind of giggling about the fact that someone took time out of their day to, like, call you, you know, a name that isn't so nice or whatnot. But I do think educating um, is a great way to handle it. You will always get the comments of like, ignore the trolls. But at some point, I think we need to be role models for things, right? When we're given this platform, I think we've co- that comes with an air of responsibility for certain things. So finding that line of like, should I educate or should I ignore is hard. Um, because at some point, you know, this can also be misconstrued. Like if we, if we try to respond or try to educate, it can also be taken as, you know, inadvertent bullying. So I think, I think we need to be careful how we educate, but I do think that we're given this platform and we need to kind of set the the tone of like, Hey, if you're going to leave a nasty comment on my blog, it's not going to be tolerated here. Right. There's no place for that. Happy to talk to you one-on-one if you have questions or concerns, but maybe don't, you know, call me a rude name on my blog post, not acceptable. But also, you know, one thing we can do is mute. We can block people. We can mute people. And I have been doing this a lot more liberally for my mental health. I don't generally like to block people. But if it's really that bad, I will do it. Because at the end of the day, you're probably never going to see these people in real life. And if it saves you a burnout or a depression viral, I think it's worth it. Yeah. Following up with that,
0: with the whole educating people. Something I want, I like people listening I want people to know that the, whenever somebody does take a very advertent step to educate, don't tell them to ignore the trolls because there's a very strategic reason why they decided to speak out. And that's something that personally gets under my skin. And I think actually probably gets under all of our skins. It's when people say ignore the trolls and it's like, we already do. We put a lot of effort into like muting and blocking people who are trolls, who are not productive. But every once in a while, like all of us have an audience to some degree. Like, I think I have the, I think I know I have the smallest audience, but I still have like 7,000 followers at this time. And a lot of times we do put a lot of stress on ignoring the trolls. So when we decide to speak out and people are like, ignore the trolls and you only have like eight followers, it's like, you really have no idea what those people are going through. We are ignoring the trolls, but whenever we take, a st- we take a very purposeful step to educate, don't tell us to not do it because we're not, like Ali said, and we're not responding to the troll. We're responding to educate to the larger audience who we know is going to see it.
2: And I think uh, just quickly to that point is the fact that we've all made mistakes through trial and error, right? We've all been... Uh, at a point where we respond in a nasty way, or we tried to like educate that and it maybe didn't come across well, and we fail. But I think all of us are very good at admitting that. So when we do respond to these things, it's it's carefully curated for the most part. And and we know through trial and error that This is going to probably be the most effective way to do that. So yeah, that was a lot about online harassment. I would say there are a few other negatives of blogging. Um, Me personally, I feel like I always have to be creating something. this goes back to this consistency idea, right? Posting consistently is good, especially if you want to be considered a serious blogger. Um, But you don't have to do that each week, right? You can batch create. We talked about this in episode two about managing our side projects. Uh, You can batch create all of these blog posts and schedule them consistently, right? So you don't need a set aside time every week. It could be once a month you just batch like four blog posts and you post one every week, right? That's kind of how you can get around that one. But going back to this imposter syndrome idea that Kelly mentioned earlier, anxiety over maybe not making the top posts or getting readership or whatnot. I cannot stress enough. Don't focus on the numbers, right? This is going to be really hard on you if you're focused on how many reads or likes or, or thumbs up you get figure out why you want to blog. If you're blogging for yourself, great. Focus on that. Are you blogging to help people? If one person walks away with something new, perfect. You've achieved your goal, right? So so those are a couple of things that you can do. Really quickly, I want to switch gears. Kelly is more of a casual blogger, and as such, maybe she has a little bit different perspective on on things. So, do you have any last words that you want to, you know, contribute about being a casual blogger?
1: Yeah. So, blogging Unless you're literally going into a career in blogging, blogging is not going to, it's not a requirement to have a successful career. So if it's something you're not interested in doing, if it's something that you start doing and you find out that just, you don't like doing it, then don't do it. It's not going to prevent you from moving forward with your career. And if all you're wanting to do is, you know, share your own ideas and perspectives and, you know, just walk through unique solutions to issues you've encountered, great. If you're not trying to monetize this, just write at your own pace, write right whenever you want. It's it's your, you know, your own project, It's your own little side project. There's no there are no real rules around it if it's just something for fun.
0: Yeah, I think it's really important to mention that because I I blog consistently, but that's because of my own personal goals and if I didn't have those personal goals, I probably would not have any motivation to consistently put out content having your why behind it. We've talked about this so many times during all of our first two episodes, but having your why of why you want to do it is super important because if if it's not something that you have a direct goal on, you're not going to keep it up. And that's also okay. Just, you know, just to kind of say it's also okay. And you still can have a successful career. I mean, I started blogging last year and since I started blogging, as far as I know, my career has still been pretty good. (laughs) Like like it's definitely took a turn for the better with blogging, but I still was having a lot of success before I started. So it doesn't mean you have to, um, everybody has a different path of what they want to take in their career.
2: And how do you actually get the confidence to press publish? Like, do you think about it a lot? Do you kind of just hit the button and like walk away and, you know, (laughs) ignore the fact that you just like have, have put your your content into the world, Ali. How do you how do you gain, gain the confidence?
3: Yeah, so I think going back to earlier, I think a lot of people are like this blog post has been written before, and my voice isn't needed. Maybe I'm not enough of an expert on something. My whole entire original blog that got decent readership and was really incredible for my career was about learning new things. So it was all these topics that I was not an expert on. It was just things that I was learning and writing about my perspectives, learning it and how difficult or easy it was. And then also, pretty much everything has been written to some extent. That's totally fine. I talk about my React tutorial. So I wrote a React tutorial last summer, which is way after a lot of people already had written React tutorials, and there were great ones already out there. But that one is one of my most read blog posts of all time. People still resonated with it. I wrote it differently than other people and that still helped a lot of people. So even though some topic has already been covered, you still have a unique spin and you can add your unique voice to the, to the topic. So I don't always have the confidence to press submit. So I always have a bunch of drafts on my computer at any time. It'll be up to like 20 blog posts that I've not pressed submit on and it's tough. I I deal with this all the time, but at some point you just got to feel confident enough in it and just, just go for it.
2: And do you need to be an expert? I mean, like you said you had this React tutorial, like were you an expert in React before you published this?
3: Yeah. I mean, I've been writing React for like four years before that. So that one's probably not a great topic there, <laughs> but, um, Elm, for example, is this th- functional programming language for the front end. And that was something that I tried to learn over and over and over again, and just couldn't figure it out. And I wrote a blog post about that. And that was my first blog post that ever got attention. It got featured in a bunch of newsletters and stuff like that. So it was all about writing
1: how something was hard for me to learn. And and that was still something that people resonated. The best 101 posts actually, you know, come from your own unique experiences on how you learned how to how to do something. Because this literally walking through your process, even if you've made mistakes along the way, you know, others are probably going to encounter those same mistakes and knowing like, Holy oh, that's not what I need to do. OK, that's great. So even if you're not an expert by any means, if you're just learning something, please write about it.
2: Well, let me just say my most read blog post was like my Regex go <laughs> cheat sheet. And let me tell you, when Kelly asked me for or asked us if we could help with Regex, I immediately was like, sorry, I'm busy. I don't know anything about Regex. So like no you don't need to be an expert, right? Absolutely not. Like we said a lot of us refer back to these things as a reference sheet. So
1: no, you don't need to be an expert by any means. Also that cheat sheet did actually help me.
0: I'm glad. <laughs> Something I wanted to point out just like a literal anecdote. So I one of my favorite posts that I've ever written was pure CSS post about accessible like keyboard accessible checkboxes. And I had finished writing it and adding it and it was Sunday. I was going to post it that Monday and I was scrolling through Twitter and I literally saw an accessibility account tweet a blog post that was almost identical, like literally the same exact content. And I was just like, Oh my God, I cannot believe that I just spent so much time and I posted on Twitter and I'm like, I just put this, all this effort, into this blog post, should I still post it? And I got an overwhelming yes. People want to hear your perspective. And to this day, this is still one of my more popular blog posts. What I did to like make myself feel better is I actually linked to that. And I'm like, hey, I actually almost didn't post this because I saw this article on Twitter right before uh, the day before I was going to post it. So go and give it a read. It might help you too. And I think also that helps as well, because I wrote this without looking at any documentation, anybody else's blog posts. So it was all from my own memory, but I don't want to be like considered plagiarizing. So I wanted to make sure that people got that uh, perspective as well. So I was super scared about that, to be honest. So,
3: I think related to this whole conversation is that if you're learning something and you're struggling to find a blog post on something so you're googling it over and over and over again and you can't find the answer or you can't find one that makes sense or one that works when you finally do get it that's the perfect blog post because it's something that you were struggling to learn so probably somebody else is struggling to learn it as well and so you've got this built-in thing that you already know that there's an audience for so go write it
2: so when you're blogging like or you want to start a blog where do you go like how do you know what platforms to blog on kelly where do you write your blog posts
1: so i write some of my posts on dev and the rest of them, I would consider to be like our, our personal blog. So on our website. So one of the main things to think about when you're you're thinking about writing your content and where to publish, if you're going through a certain platform, know that you might not have ownership of the content. Because if their platform were, you know, it went down for some reason, it just went away one day, you, you know, you may not have a backup of, you know, your entire history of everything that you've written in the past. So just uh, something to think about when you're choosing where to write or, you know, have it on your personal blog and have it on another platform. Just learn about uh, canonical URLs.
2: Yeah. What are canonical URLs?
1: Yeah. So canonical URLs are a setting that you'll
3: use if you cross post that make it so that all the search engine juice still goes to your original blog instead of to the place that you're cross posting to. So this actually makes it so that cross-posting can be really beneficial for your SEO instead of negative for it. Google penalizes duplicate content if you don't have it set. So if you have this posted in eight different places, Google's gonna say, oh, this content is plagiarized. I don't know which one's the actual real version, but somebody's copying it. So I'm just gonna penalize all of it. So you really need to set that canonical URL to all the places that you're cross-posting. It's also important if people are plagiarizing your work to do takedowns and stuff like that, but um, that's another, another tangent. I started only cross-posting. So I started on Medium first and then started cross-posting to Dev and then only wrote my personal blog once I knew that it was something that I enjoyed because building the blog platform itself is a lot of work. And so I always recommend to people to know that you enjoy writing and that that's something that you're going to stick to before putting in all that sunk cost of building up the site for yourself.
1: I just have a really quick question. Yeah. Uh, early on, in what you were saying, did you say search engine juice? Yeah. Totally. Okay. Good. I'm going to use that in the future.
0: <laughs> cool. <laughs> <laughs> That's an awesome question.
1: Yeah. No. Well, the thing also
0: um, with that is I I only had my personal blog when I started blogging. So when I started posting on dev, it was all cross posted content. And this is actually a really good strategy if you're newer, because a lot of people go to dev and not as many people were going to my site. So it's a good way to get more eyes on my content while I'm still starting out. Um, I don't even at this point now I cross post a week uh, later, but at the beginning, I posted at the same exact time. Right now, it's just it's now less of an urgency because my traffic is starting to grow organically, which is really cool. But at the beginning, I didn't have much of an audience. And that when it comes down to it, the point was to help people learn about this stuff and more eyes on that content and more people were going to learn. And that's why canonicals are good. <laughs>
2: That sounds to me like a big win for you. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and speaking of wins, Lindsay, you want to take this one?
0: Sure. So something we were doing is we all have our wins, but the best part of building this podcast is hearing your thoughts on our podcast and just hearing from everybody here. So we decided that we wanted to have listener wins. So we have one listener, well, listener, <laughs> one listener win. Uh, I... And this is from Juno. I've submitted an application for my first hackathon, which is super, super awesome. We love hearing these types of things. And yeah, congratulations Juno. Yeah, so cool. Su- super excited for you. But yeah, if you want to be featured, sign up for our newsletter. We'll have a link in the show notes because we love hearing from you. That's the point of the podcast is to interact with the community. So definitely would love to hear your win. We have a couple of tangents about that. This isn't supposed to be like, promotional stuff this is your own wins your things that you're proud of we've gotten a few like promotional items and that's not what we're interested in we're interested in hearing those vulnerable wins that you're super proud of even if it's just like I finally had the guts to apply for that one job or any of that we love that stuff so but let's share a couple of our personal wins too um just to keep that going keep the positive vibes
1: I have one more note on that, actually. Mm-hmm. If you can keep it like tweet length, that's awesome because you can see how long this podcast episode is, and we would love to keep the wins concise. Yes. But I'll go next. <laughs> so, you know, kind of on the same topic of how I write out my newsletters and turn them into blog posts. For the first time ever, I finally got ahead on writing newsletters by three weeks. I'm finally starting to batch these instead of write one Tuesday night to be published Wednesday morning or write it Wednesday morning to be published in five minutes. So I'm very proud of that.
2: You don't like being stressed out, though? I don't understand. I mean,
1: (laughs) my entire life is just this ball of stress around running a business. So I mean, it is very on brand for me, but I'm trying to do what I can to move away from that.
2: I mean, Kelly, when you batch things, you'll have more time to cook me spaghetti, which I still have yet to receive in the mail. But uh, TSA did say we could bring it. And I'll be (laughs) in Germany in August. Yay. All right, we'll talk about that. I had a cool win this week. I wouldn't say it's a big win, right? Like it's big for me. I am working on building a design system, and we're working on the style guide and My kind of like partner designer was a little bit busy this week. So I took it upon myself to design a user interface and sketch and I put it all together. I spent like several hours doing it and we went in for a design review and he just had like one to two very minor comments and he told me that he was proud of me for like the quality of my design work. So that was like really cool for me.
0: That's awesome. I love that. I can go next. So our last our second episode, I, uh, we were talking about batching and I started trying batching and just jet focused on whatever was the most relevant of that time. And it has been super effective. I've also been doing time blocking and I found myself a lot less stressed this week, which has been super great because sometimes the past month, my stress levels have been pretty high. So it was such a gift to block some time. And then I didn't feel super guilty in the evening um, when I wanted to take time for myself because I knew I had a plan and I knew I had things done. Allie, what's
3: your win? Yeah, so actually last summer I built this offline screen for dev where you can draw while your computer can't connect to the internet. And it's kind of been this Easter egg this week somebody Mm -hmm. discovered it and posted it on, on Reddit's our web dev and it was one of the top posts of the week and people were like super nice about it which is always exciting for reddit
0: yay that's exciting that's awesome
3: so thanks for
0: listening this is probably a little bit of a longer episode but we love talking about it so if you like the episode tweet about it we'll select one tweeter to win those fancy ladybug stickers that you saw on twitter and everybody was super excited about which is awesome so we're posting new podcasts every monday so make sure you subscribe to be So, thanks all for hanging out. Thanks for
2: listening. listening. We'll see you you next
0: week. Yes. Bye.